just gonna text my parents to get off the Wi-Fi then. That's how it works. Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash adherent apologetics. Today I'm joined by Carl, as always, he usually comes in, and Micah Pope, though he's not officially a part of the youth apologetics empire, he is youth and in apologetics. He's probably the most followed TikTok apologist in the world, uh, so I feel honored. But uh, what's up, Carl? What's up, Micah? How are you guys doing? Doing okay. Swaggy. Okay. Doing pretty good. Um, we'll just give really brief introductions in case people don't know who you are. Um, so we'll start with Carl and then go to Micah. And if you could turn your mic up a little bit, Micah, that'd be great. Gotcha. Um, all right. So I kind of do apologetics. I kind of do theology. I mostly just kind of meme. That's really that's really what I do. But it, people like people tell me I'm intelligent, so I guess that's why Zach has me here. Who knows? But my name's Carl. I'm Zach's best friend. We live like two minutes away from each other. That's basically my qualifications. I I am essentially the same. Um, <laughs> I am I am reformed, um, and and I do stuff on TikTok. So uh, yeah, I I don't know. There's a whole lot of note about me other than my name is Mike Pope. Go to the University of Delaware. Um, so yeah. Isn't that and like I, the biggest party school? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, tight. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Getting down like so, the old fashioned popes, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so we are going to, Come on, Carl. Um, we're going to go into responding to Prophet Azad. Um, he released a response to my 36 questions. We may not get through it all, but we're going to get through a lot of it. If you have questions, as always, you can put those in the live chat. We'll get to those at the end. Um, but we're going to get start, started with these questions and just give our reaction to them. So let's go. Awesome. Why is this something rather than nothing? This is just an absurd question on every conceivable level. Even setting aside the idea of whether they're being nothing even makes sense, how do you just walk up and ask a person to explain why everything exists? Do you believe in God? No. Well, then explain the entire universe, idiot. This doesn't follow and is totally unrealistic. Besides, unless Christians give an informed answer to why is there God rather than no God, then all they've done is kick the problem in a new territory and pretend it went away. So congratulations on achieving that. All right. Um, there's a few things we can respond to. I'll just keep, give my couple thoughts and we'll go to call and we'll go to Micah. Um, but basically, uh, the why is there no God? Uh, why is there a God rather than no God? It's because God exists necessarily. Um, he exists in every possible universe. There's a difference between a conceivable universe and a possible universe. Um, but we'll save the modologic lesson for another day. Um, but so there's that. And then like, the other thing that is really interesting that we see a lot is the like the idea that's kind of like an absurd question. And I mean, it's really not because, you know, there's something. So we should wonder why there is something rather than nothing. We could go the oppie route and go brute facts and go through that. Or we could go like in the more theistic route. Um, so that's my two cents. Yeah, I think it's kind of, he's kind of just dodging the whole point of the question here, because the whole point of the question is to say, look, 
like the theists have the best explanation for why there is something rather than nothing. So simply saying, I don't have a good explanation for it doesn't really address the heart of the problem because we're you're just address you're just saying exactly the point of our question. You're just ha handing us the point. It's not really a rebuttal as much as it is just conceding the fact that yeah, there is no good explanation for why there is something rather than nothing except for God. I think that covers it. I don't have anything else to add to that. I, I think that, like we either have an explanation or we don't. And, and one way or the other, uh, it's, it's not an absurd question to ask. Um, mm -hmm. but, but if you don't have an answer to that, uh, then, then maybe you need to reconsider why you believe what you believe, because that's mm -hmm. something that's worth justifying. Uh, and, and as a, as a large scheme, like who am I, like, <laughs> why is there something, uh, so, something worth considering? Mm -hmm. And yeah, like the Steelman, the skeptic, like very briefly, like you don't, if you are an atheist and you're kind of like thinking about like how an Oppie or a JL Sobel or someone to defend this, they're not going to give the exact explanation for why there's going to be something rather than nothing, but they're going to say, you know, there's these brute facts. Um, and from these brute facts kind of comes a universe. We don't, we kind of know what these brute facts would be, but we don't really know. Um, so there is some sort of explanation. It's not a complete one, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, Morton X says, as a Muslim, I'm impressed with you guys. So sweet. Uh, we'll keep on going and I have to remember to share the screen because I'm really bad at this. Um, but yeah, let's keep on going. Number two, is there any evidence that suggests the universe is eternal? As with question one, I'll ask why we should have to answer this question just because we don't believe in their God. I mean, what scientist, much less person on the street should be expected to know this kind of thing? Besides, you could just as easily ask, is there any evidence that suggests God is eternal? Or, you know, exists? Number three. Okay, I mean, this is kind of like along the same lines as the second question, yeah. but I mean, we could talk about the like, God is eternal thing, you know, it's like God existing necessarily, that is the necessary foundation in all possible worlds. Um, So we could talk about that again, but I feel like we've kind of covered that, and it's kind of the same as the response to the first question. Um, you know, we should ask these questions and examine it. We shouldn't just say, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yep. And I think there's really good reasons to believe that the universe is not eternal. Mm -hmm. I like William Lane Craig's uh, explanation for why the universe is not eternal is you cannot reach an actual infinite through uh, successive uh, addition of temporal events. So if we understand reality to be temp uh, like successive addition of temporal events, like moment one is right now, moment two is right now. And we just keep adding those. Like you don't get an actual infinite. We can represent an actual infinite via summation, but like mathematically, if you add one over and over and again, you won't reach infinity. So, so I think yeah. there's really good reasons to believe that the universe isn't infinite. Sorry, I, th I thought you're done. That uh, yeah, no, I'll just add on to that. Like the reason I believe the universe couldn't be infinite is because the heat death is an actual thing. If the universe was infinite, we would have already experienced the heat death because it would have mm -hmm. happened an infinite number of years ago. So, and since we obviously haven't experienced the heat death, the universe really couldn't have been infinite. No matter how far you want to go back, it would have had to have happened. And since it hasn't happened, the universe logically or physically cannot be infinite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this guy is scientific ethic evidence definitely points to a finite past it's a little more sketchy than like the philosophical arguments like michael was talking about but i mean the science seems to support it as well um roxby ethan what's up thanks for joining us we will keep on going now the three if not why do atheists hold on to the idea and say you have debunked the kalam cosmological argument 
Um, aggressively loaded question mm-hmm. and switches from third to second person halfway through, but whatever. Honestly, the Kalam is so uncompelling, it doesn't even need to be debunked. It's poorly constructed and relies so much on simplified intuition that it's practically meaningless. But even if we generously grant it every assumption it makes, all it does is suggest that cause and effect as we perceive it can go back infinitely, and thus something about the universe must defy our intuition if you think back far enough. That's it. Christians just pat God onto the end for the sole reason that they wanna. Number four. Yeah, I mean, he's right about the whole question thing. Mike is having fun. Um, but he's right about the question thing. I definitely messed up that question um, and I loaded it. Um, what's up, fake Ethan? Uh, but I mean, the the Kalam is definitely worded properly. Like the premises are true. Whatever begins to exist has a cause and the universe begins to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. The conclusion follows from the premises. So like it's logically valid. It's just a question of whether the premises are true. And I know he just gave like a very like 30 second uh, brief response. But he just said it's like debunked or whatever. But he didn't actually give any reason to believe so. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm not convinced by anything he said. I don't. I, I don't. I, to be honest, I'm not even sure I understand what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest the thing that I took from what he said it was like he said that the logic was too simple or something like that. The premises were too simple, mm-hmm. something along yeah. those lines. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, having simple logic is like the hallmark of philosophy. That's the intention is to have simple logic that makes an argument extremely strong if the logic is simple. So you can't take simple logic and use it to disprove the argument because arguments should have simple logic. It makes them good arguments. Yeah. It's, it's like <laughs> it's most opponents, therefore it's wrong. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, simple logic is still logic. All men are mortal. Socrates is man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. It's very simple logic. But I mean, if the logic holds, then the conclusion is true, regardless of how simple it is. Good old AAA one. <laughs> Let's keep on going. Or, if so, why do the vast majority of scientists reject this idea? If you're implying that most scientists reject the idea of an infinitely regressive steady state universe, I guess I can go along with that. But God isn't a necessary or even plausible alternative. And honestly, if you're a Christian, or at least fundamentalist, you might want to reconsider bringing what do the vast majority of scientists think into a conversation. Number. Yeah. Um, Understands, like, he's confusing a God did it, like, explanation with a necessary being. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, if we think about, like, the project of natural theology, especially with, like, contingency arguments, cosmological arguments, like, at some point, they're saying um, there's a first cause, we're going to hit a metaphysical brick wall, so to speak, and the question is, like, what what are the properties of this first cause? What's, what must it be? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, he makes a point of, like, you know, if we're going to reject um, what scientists don't believe, then we should reject, like, a 6,000-year-old Earth, but, I mean... I don't think any of us are a young earth creationist, so that's not really our problem to deal with. Um, but I mean, at some point we're going to hit a metaphysically a metaphysical brick wall um, with like our explanations. So, yeah. Yeah. So just, just to explain like a, a necessary being isn't like just saying, well, we don't know what did it. So God did it. It's saying mm-hmm. this is a logically necessary being without which reality doesn't exist. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you don't even have to believe that the necessary being is God. Like if you look at like yeah. Proust's um, 
cosmological argument for contingency, conti contingency in the Blackwell Companion, it doesn't. It says premise four is this is a necessary being. Five premise five is this. If there is a necessary being, this is God. Um, so you can get to the necessary being without God. It's like the whole gap problem. But yeah, keep on rolling. Number five. Why is the universe so fine-tuned? Well, it's not, but that's a long story. But unless you can explain why God is fine-tuned for conscious thought, much less infinite wisdom, then again, all you've done is kick the same problem up a level and then ignored it. If you expect us to answer questions and then use special pleading to wiggle out of them yourself, there's no reason to take you seriously. So he says... If I'm if I'm hearing him right, just to steal man, I'm here. He's saying that God needs fine tuning as well. I mean, obviously he denies fine tuning. We could talk about that, but is he saying that God needs fine tuning? I I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, it sounds like God would then be derived from some sort of more God consciousness. Yeah, so, it's like idealism, but like not idealism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd encourage Prophet Azad or like any skeptic if you're listening to this, like read like just read How Reason Can Lead to God by Josh Rasmussen, like 180 pages. And it, it'll do a great job of kind of giving the basics of natural theology and in natural theology. What we're really arguing for is a necessary being that exists necessarily. It doesn't it's not contingent in any way. Um, so God, in that kind of school of thought, God wouldn't need any fine tuning um, is, with regards to not denying fine tuning. I mean, I think that's kind of like just like not true like if you look at like low entropy or the cosmological constant or like lo lo weak nuclear force or strong nuclear force there's a lot of examples um yeah number six if your answer is the multiverse why is there no evidence for that theory if your answer is god then why is there no evidence for that theory Funny how selective your interest in evidence is. But here's the thing. I don't give a flying f about the multiverse, nor should I have to. If you want to react to the universe's mysteries by guessing that God did it, nothing compels me to come back with, well, maybe it's the multiverse instead, just so I have my own alternative guess. Instead, I should say, hey, I don't know and neither do you, so stop guessing until you have an informed answer. And suggesting anything else shows you just don't understand atheism numbers yeah i mean i think a lot like in like the the mind the way prophet of zod just kind of thinks so like all arguments for god existence are just um god did it we don't know um so therefore god did it and that's just like not at all na what natural theology states so yeah yeah that's we can move on i mean there's not a whole lot more to <laughs> yeah. that one that's honestly so far <laughs> honestly yeah if you're like convinced by these arguments i'm like i'm concerned for you mm -hmm. well i think he's coming um from like his perspective it's more of just like the non-theism version of atheism so it's just like i don't believe in god that's basically all the truth claims he'd really make like no hypothesis theory like yeah hey, i don't believe mm -hmm. in something until it's proven mm -hmm. which yeah, is yeah but still he's not even arguing against the proof given yeah Mm -hmm. we'll keep on going number seven is it possible that there is no natural explanation for the origin of life a few thousand years ago 
People might have thought it was possible there was no natural explanation for lightning or the rising and setting of the sun. And while this sounds silly in hindsight, I guess there always might be a far-fetched, precedent-breaking possibility that there's no natural explanation for the next thing we don't fully understand. But by appealing to this possibility, all this question is doing is asking, hey, since we don't know everything, can I interest you in a God of the Gaps argument? Nope. Number eight. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, like, at least my, my myself, I am ske very skeptical of, like, um, ID arguments just because, you know, it's, a, it's something inside the universe. It doesn't deal with the foundations of reality. But, I mean, if we look at, like, the philosophical pro problem of, like, the origin of life is we're dealing with um, non-life life coming from non-life like that's a puzzle it's a it's a philosophical puzzle it's part of the, the reason that antony flew ended up becoming a deist is because he's like how do we get life from non-life it just doesn't seem to add up and i mean i'm not even id critic there is some validity to the art to the argument yeah. i think another like in terms of humans like how do you get moral matter out of non-moral matter like mm -hmm. that's an even bigger issue than just mm -hmm. like life and animated motion uh mm -hmm. I'll take that one step farther and say, how do you get conscious matter without from unconscious matter? Yeah, and I think that's where the next question is going. Yeah, the construction problem is real. I'll say that. Eight, where does consciousness come from? It's a function of our brains and going too much deeper into it would take a while. But again, why are you demanding these answers from me? Why do I have to fully explain complex scientific phenomena I'm not an expert in before you feel I'm justified not defaulting to your magic answer that you can't explain at all? Because can you explain where consciousness comes from, including yes. God's consciousness? If not, you have no real answer and are just declaring that consciousness comes from more consciousness, which... Okay, then. You got thoughts, Micah? Uh, I, I was just, like, he... <laughs> He asked, can you explain where consciousness comes from? And I said, yes. Yes, we can. Can you explain where God's consciousness comes from? God's consciousness is a necessary consciousness. He is self-existence. Yeah. And I think this is like the issue. Um, if we're going to make like a philosophical um, defensive atheism is we're going to have things like consciousness or like, why is there something rather than nothing or the applicability of like reason or mathematics or, um, more morality. And you're going to have to ground all these things in brute facts. If you're going to be an atheist, um, as at least a philosophical atheist, atheist is like a grim oppie, but I mean, it's you okay. know, he just kind of doesn't really, and I know it's just like a very short response, but he doesn't really answer any of the questions surrounding like the construction problem. Um, how does like impersonal matter create um, personal mind, or, like the hard problem of consciousness, things like that. Um, he just assumes like, well, where does God's consciousness come from? And we've talked about the whole necessary being idea already in this video. Yep. And to, uh, to be fair, like, Hey, he's saying he, he could go into a scientific explanation, but as far as I'm aware, there isn't a scientific explanation for, Mm -hmm. where consciousness comes from it's immaterial so mm -hmm. i don't know I'd yeah the, be if somebody the best that. yeah the best argument you can bring up is like mind brain dependency um and there's obviously a lot that can be said and we won't do that in this short response video mm -hmm. number nine do you lack a belief that god exists or would you say that god does not exist if i were forced to choose between these two i would say i lack belief that god exists However, given most supernatural propositions, 
say, do vampires exist or does the Dark Lord Sauron exist, most of us treat both answers as pretty interchangeable. And people who split hairs between lacking belief and thus dismissing something as not worth your time, which they see as a perfectly adequate response to vampires, and conclusively showing you've disproven it, are expecting you to parse out the nature of your disbelief in way too much detail when instead they should be, you know, proving it. Number 10. Yeah, the only thing I want to say on this is the idea of like proving God exists is just way overstretched um, than what it should be. Like, we don't need to prove that God exists. I don't really know how you, unless you're a presuppositionalist, like, I don't know how you could prove that God exists. Um, like, we can't even prove that, like, other minds exist, um, yet alone God. What we, we don't need proof. What we need is certainty, or, or we don't even need certainty. We need just we just need a good reason. Um, like natural theology, personal experience, all kinds of fun stuff. There's plenty of good reasons, um, to have like a I mean, reason. You can't really prove anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. other than like maybe math, you can't mm -hmm. really prove anything. <laughs> at the end and of like the, day. the log logic, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. We'll keep on going. 10. Do you lack a belief that Zeus exists? Or do you believe that Zeus does not exist? My answer for this one is basically the same as for the previous one. So, next. Number 11. If you just lack a belief that Zeus exists, why are you centuries behind the rest of the world who say that Zeus doesn't exist? Wow, what a fun string of questions based on wordplay. Really, this one just backfires by highlighting the fact that the only difference between Zeus belief and Yahweh belief is people are comfortable saying Zeus does not exist because a bunch of entitled Zeus followers won't nitpick over the certainty of their non-belief until they refine their answer down to, fine, I just lack belief. So nice job. You just illustrated how your religion bullies everybody else into describing their disbelief in your thing differently than their disbelief in other things. Number yeah, I mean, we could talk about the whole, like, you know, God is just one of, like, 4,000 other different gods, and I think it comes down to, like, the monotheism, polytheism distinction, where you have, like, Zeus and all these Greek deities or Roman deities or Hindu deities or whatever, um, and they're all created contingent beings, and, you know, the monotheistic tradition has a necessary being, um, but I mean, you know, we could talk about that, but it's, it's kind of self-evident. Yeah, it's just a category error on, on the video's part. Mm -hmm. Roll with it, Carl. Um, what's up, Ms. Titus 2? We are doing well. Thank you for joining us. Number 12. Do you act according to what you believe or what you just lack a belief in? For the most part, what I believe. I believe there are people around me, and I believe my actions have consequences for me and those people. So I act accordingly. The fact that I don't add a God to the list of things I believe in does not mean I act according to non-belief. Number 13. I mean, I don't have much to say here. Carl told me to write this question when I made the video, um, but I don't know. I'm fine with this response. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to, to live your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're really flying through this. Good job, guys. What evidence is there that atheism corresponds with reality? What evidence is there that your lack of belief in vampires corresponds with reality? Your question is just as poorly framed and dumb as this one for all the same reasons. Number 14. Yeah. Um, this was a rough 
question or rough response, I feel like, because I mean, you could talk about actual like reasons, but you know, here we are um, talk about like the problem of evil or something, but it's just a little annoying, but yeah. Yeah. I've been talking about necessary beings. I think that that'd be a very interesting thing to discuss with this guy was mm-hmm. the nature of a necessary being. Yes. I'd love to talk with you, Prophet of Zod, Prophet of Zod, if you're um, listening to this about the difference between a necessary God and a contingent like created deity. Teen. Is atheism a world for you? No. Not every perspective revolves around whether or not they believe your thing. Atheism just seems like a worldview because we live in a highly fundamentalist culture that's always flirting with theocracy and thus have to react to you out of necessity. Number yeah i mean if atheism isn't a worldview then i feel like no one should be an atheist like i'm not really i don't really care what you if like if 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 atheism to you is just a lack of belief of god and that's your worldview like that's fine we can talk about that but like everyone has a worldview and what i'm trying to get at in this question is like what is your worldview and you know question 15 is gonna kind of talk about that i've i've waffled back and forth on this question myself to be honest Mm -hmm. and i think where I've landed on it is that atheism is a component. It's a large component of a worldview, uh, but it itself is not a worldview in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Because, because like, obviously, especially if you define atheism as a lack of belief in God and not like a disbelief, like a, a total disbelief in God, uh, like obviously that's going to influence how you act, how you interact with people, how you talk with people, how you think about the world. Um, but it itself is not all the components of your worldview. So mm-hmm. um, that's my two cents. Yeah. I, I think it would stem from very, from much more of a naturalistic worldview than anything else. But yeah, yes. with mm-hmm. Mr. Pope on that. Yeah. I mean, the problem is like atheism can mean so many different things now. Like, um, like a lack of belief atheism is really just non-theism if you look at it from like the philosophical literature um, perspective. But I mean, I'm kind of with Mike on this now, like the way atheism is used, it doesn't really mean anything because it's just a lack of belief. And that's just like being a non-theist. It's like, okay, you just don't believe in God, but that doesn't get you anywhere. Yep. Number 15. If not, what is your worldview? This, like where does consciousness come from and how do you explain all of science is a big question I don't have time for here. I don't feel obligated to explain my entire outlook on life just to account for saying no to belief in your thing. Number six. I mean, that's fine. If he doesn't want to share his worldview, then like, okay, that's fine. Yep. 16. What would convince you that God exists? What would convince you that he does not? What would convince you that vampires exist? What would it take for me to sell you this car? Instead of asking dumb questions like this, you should either do the work of convincing me or come to peace with my disbelief. It's not my job to design your strategy for convincing me. Number seven. I'm a little disappointed in his response to this question just because I'd be curious what would convince him um, that God exists. Like, for me, like the alternative, what would convince me that God does not exist? Well, if there was um, a compelling argument um, for God's non-existence, like if you had like a rock solid argument you couldn't get away from, like a logical problem of evil, even though like those don't work. Um, like if you just made it more likely that God doesn't exist, 
than he does. You know, we take away like personal experience and miracles and things like that. There's plenty of things. I just don't think there's any reason um, in reality to actually kind of hold to the reason that God does not exist when everything's done, though there are very smart people that would hold that position. Yep. Yep. I feel like I'm doing all the work and you guys are just saying, yep. <laughs> Were you <getting> <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to live in i don't want to live in an echo chamber um this is like an echo podcast right now for 17 are you willing to follow the evidence even if it leads to a different understanding of how the universe works i'm in a constant state of doing this science does it by definition religions are the only ones with an avowed practice of not doing so so i call bs on this insinuated projection Number eight. Alvin Plantico once said the conflict is not between um, religion and science, but actually science and atheism. Hashtag the evolutionary argument against naturalism. But I mean, we've <laughs> talked about all this stuff before, so yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to add to that other than like, like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. If Jesus rose from the dead, would you become a Christian? No, I would just be curious why a person rose from the dead. But let's reverse this one. If someone outside Christianity rose from the dead, would you become a member of their religion? I bet you would not. And the fact that you wouldn't yet you still ask this question tells us practically everything we need to know about these questions and where you're coming from with them. I would take issue with that. I, I, I would say if someone else rose from the dead and there was irrefutable evidence that they did it and that they were forming a religion, I, I think that would be more likely than the evidence we have for Christ rising from the dead. If, if mm -hmm. like I was able to witness it today and I would join their religion. I um, think there's a very big difference that should be made here between rising from the dead and the actual resurrection because Lazarus was raised from the dead but he still died he still died again the resurrection is resurrection unto eternal life so if someone raised from the dead and then you know lived in a glorified body and never died again was able to pass through walls as Jesus Christ was then I'd probably become a part of their religion if they said this is the way follow me I am the resurrection and the life I'd probably follow that but if someone simply came back from the dead, I'm not going to follow that because because they're just going to die again. I think it's helpful to realize that like Christianity is literally just based on the resurrection of Christ. Um, if you read like First Corinthians 15, that kind of explains that. Um, you know, and as Christians, we believe in other resurrections, like say Lazarus, but it's not like what a religion is based on. It's just, it's just a different category. Um, so with the other religion question, it'd be like, well, is the religion based on this resurrection? Is its truth claim hang on the resurrection? Cause you know, there's all kinds of stuff and it's just a very speculative question. To me, if Christ rose from the dead, and again, you, you mentioned first Corinthians 15, if Christ rose from the dead, then Christianity is true. So mm -hmm. I don't know why you wouldn't follow christianity if christ rose from the dead yeah number 19 if you wouldn't become a christian why would you ever accept that he rose from the dead because i saw evidence he rose from the dead i feel like this question is trying to make some kind of point but just doing a really bad job of it number 20 okay i think 
I can kind of hop onto that because I, the, what the point of the question is trying to say, I think, is that that Christianity is the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Like that is the central mm-hmm. pillar. So there is no such thing as believing Jesus rose from the dead and not being a Christian. That's that just doesn't exist because believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is to be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Miss Miss Titus says a temporary life after resurrection is a no for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the life is important in in the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. I accidentally played the video. I wasn't trying to like cut, cut you off, Micah. No, that was what? that was all I was going to say. Keep insisting faith is blind trust when that's not what Christians or the Bible say. Ignoring the broad strokes this question mm-hmm. paints us with and its general attitude, I personally think the word faith can mean many different things. The relevant point is that, while individual Christians can define faith however they want, belief in an undemonstrated God does require what we would call blind faith, and the Bible does extol belief without evidence. These are just facts, and pointing them out is not the same as insisting on the broad definition of the word faith. Number 20. Okay, he throws a lot out there. Um... I would say, yeah, the question is a little loaded. Like, that's my bad. I take full responsibility for that. Um, but then, like, the un, the undemonstrable claim is a little bit frustrating to me because, you know, maybe to a prophet of Zod, of Zod God's never de- never demonstrated himself, and that's fine. But then there's lots of people who would differ um, and say that God has in their own personal lives demonstrated to them that he exists. And I think kind of like that demonstration idea is kind of just cancels out because we should be – it's not just about your opinion that matters. It's not, can we convince prophet of Zod that God exists? It's does God exist? Um, that's the question we're asking here. Yep. I think another interesting thing he mentioned there was that the Bible uses the word faith in terms of blind trust, which is just false. The word for faith in the new Testament is pistis. And it, uh, I'm just going to read the strong's entry here. It says a conviction of truth of anything belief in the new Testament. Uh, uh, sorry, belief in the new Testament, a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. That uh, I don't see anywhere in that definition uh, of blind faith, uh, but but it is often simply translated as faith for the for the sake of a translation. Yeah, so. I think a lot of times when we see when we see, especially the phrase he used, that the Bible extols blind faith. I think a lot of times what they're referring to is Jesus saying, "Blessed." Like you've seen and you believe, but blessed are those who have believe who have not seen and yet have believed, which is not even extolling blind faith because it's much more. You take into Luke sixteen with the rich man and Lazarus, where Jesus says, "Like truly, I will, truly, I say to you, if they had not believed the law and prophets that come before, no, neither will they believe if someone had rose, risen from the dead." It's not a sense of blind faith; rather, it's a sense that what was written in the past and what has proved to be true time and time again is going to continue to be true. So pointing to such a verse like Jesus saying, blessed are you who believe and have not seen is much more blessed are you who have believed seeing what or trusting what was written in the past, though you haven't seen it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. 21. Why do you want material evidence for an immaterial any evidence for God when I see this question I mean if he just doesn't want to like answer the question then that's fine but I mean we're not really getting anywhere and seeking truth by doing that 
Number 22. Is there a purpose to life? We have many purposes for doing things, and strangely, none of them depend on the mere existence of a bigger, smarter being until we're grasping for apologetics. Even within Christian doctrine, the real purpose behind what we do involves how our actions affect ourselves and others. So imagine acting with the same motivation just without God being one of the others, and whammo blammo, you understand an atheistic sense of purpose. Number two. I'm going to whip out the... Uh the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, because I think he fundamentally misunderstands Christian doctrine, which is, mm -hmm. what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's not anything about ourselves or other people. It's it's fully about God. Um, so you, uh, you can continue, but that was my two cents on his theological take. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Number 23, if there is, by what standard do you determine life has purpose? Huge question, and I already answered as well as I feel compelled. But reversing this, by what standard do you determine your purpose should revolve around another bigger, stronger, smarter being? Number 24. Well, I mean, if he is the foundation of all of reality, including our own existence, then it seems like a pretty big deal to understand um, what this, who this being is and what his purpose is for us and what we should do with our lives. Yep. Our, my my theology teacher in high school called this cosmic piety, uh, and and basically for all of history until the Enlightenment, everyone had this idea of if there is this greater ultimate being outside of ourselves, then our entire lives are owed to that being. So mm -hmm. we've lost that sense of cosmic piety. Not what is the point of listening to this video? It's not a video; it's just a list which is why my friend Andy had to do the work of reading it for you. Also, I think there is a purpose to life, so next. Number 20. Well, I did actually originally release this as a video, Prophet of Zot, just saying. Um, and what's up, Ancap Spencer? Thank you for joining us. 25. Where does morality come from? Morality is not a thing. It's an abstract concept, and as such, doesn't come from anywhere. So this question is so poorly framed, it's useless. One thing I will say is that thinking God magicked morality into existence makes your understanding of it shallower, not deeper. Number 20. I don't think any of us think God magicked morality into existence. He is, a, he is morality. Mm -hmm. He is the fullness of, of what is good. Mm -hmm. yeah. I I'd love... That, um, yeah. oh, I'd say that his response was morally wrong and he should be stoned for it because yeah if morality is just some subjective booga booga whatever in the sky it can be whatever the heck i want and that's what i say it should be right all right let's go commit a stone yeah seriously it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous claim to make i love josh rasmussen's like perfect being um theology that he kind of brings up uh, in his book how reason can re lead to god because when you look at like god it's a being who lacks any limits um he's just total perfection um it's a great way of looking at it um so roxby thank you for your question we, i think we'd all say morality isn't an abstract concept that's kind of what he yeah. says and if you want to go like the more atheist route and grand uh, um ground objective morality and just kind of brute facts then that's fine but it doesn't really add any explanatory depth to your hypothesis 26. How do you determine what is right and what is wrong? I evaluate the impact of my actions on others. Christians do this too. 
It's just that many of them have a poor understanding of why they do it, so they kick the question up to God, sometimes because it's complicated, and sometimes because they need an apologetic strategy. Number 20. I mean, I don't really think he adds anything in terms of, like, dialogue here that's worth responding to. Um, by what's, I would ask by what standard is affecting other people, good or bad. Like, there's an is-ought distinction there that he fails to, like, it, 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 it like, actions will affect other people, but why ought we consider that? Uh, and, and I don't think he's provided a standard of justification for that. Yeah. Number 27. When a lion kills a cub from another pride, because that's what natural selection has raised it to do, is that morally acceptable? When Joshua killed a Canaanite baby because that's what God told him to do, was that morally acceptable? You'll probably say yes, but you'll add lots of qualifiers meant to explain why it's not broadly acceptable for most people to do and why you wouldn't do it. And whether or not you've put enough thought into why, my reasons for not imitating the lion are pretty much the same as your reasons for not imitating Joshua. Number Clever response, but I don't think he responds to the question at all. Um, we could talk about the Canaanite thing, but any thoughts before that? Awesome. I mean, the with the, I mean, we can hit on Old Testament violence like very briefly. I mean, it's a, it's a broad question, but kind of the way I look at it is we describe God as morally perfect. We can establish that. Um, so whatever a morally being perfect being. Um, would tell us to do is kind of something that I think we should do because we are not morally perfect. We're limited in our understanding of reality. Um, so with how we interpret those passages, I don't really know. I just know that I'm going to do what the morally perfect being tells me to do because it's morally perfect. I'm not. Uh, Bye, Carl. Carl gone. <laughs> we'll miss you, Carl. Number 28. If evolution has put a sense of morality into us to help us survive, what makes our actions any better than any other animal's actions? Well, first off, this question is phrased like shit. But setting that aside, if God put a sense of morality into us and also did the same for Joshua, what makes you deep down see Joshua's actions as fundamentally and vitally different from yours, even though he was acting on God's commands? Honestly, think through that for a bit, and you'll understand why I prefer my actions to those of animals. Number... I mean, I feel like we kind of talked about this, but do you have any other thoughts, Micah or Carl? No, not really. I mean, I I would uh, his. Uh, I'm trying to remember what he said in his words. Um, he was saying, "Why is? Well, oh, never mind. I forget what he said. It's all good. It's just kind of rephrasing um the question about Joshua and the Canaanite baby uh, beforehand. Um, we kind of talked about that, but yeah. Yeah. 29. Is it morally acceptable for you to kill a toddler because you can no longer financially support Is it morally acceptable for you to kill a toddler because God wanted you to completely destroy a city? Well, consider why and... Oh, I think I've made this point by now. And number 30. I mean, you have, um, sir, and you, you keep deflecting the question. You didn't really answer anything. See. Is it morally acceptable to kill a fetus in the womb because you couldn't financially support it? Why is this question on your list? The only reason it has anything to do with atheism is that I give serious thought to when consciousness develops in the womb 
whereas you think God magicked a soul into existence the moment the sperm hit the egg. Is this By really a difference? Standard, you highlight number thirty. By what yeah, standard I'm, is consciousness valuable? Like you haven't established <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, if this is going to be, this is the way that you answer every single question. There's no point in actually having any questions because it's simply just, oh, either I don't know why are you asking or just deflecting it. There's no actual answer to the question. So you ask, why is the question even on the list? I don't even, I'm not quite sure why you're answering the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He doesn't answer the question. It's just kind of like, but what about this scenario? Um, which, you know, yeah. um, we will, I do say, well, if there's any questions, we will answer those at the end, but we have a few more questions to get through. 31. Is it morally acceptable to kill a baby after it has been born? For me, the answer is no. For you, the answer depends on whether the baby is, for example, a Canaanite or a Malachite. Sorry, but that's the answer your string of leading questions deserves. Number 30. I mean, at least he answered the question. He said no, um, which I'm glad. But I mean, we've talked about the Old Testament <laughs> violence thing a few things, a few already. So, yeah. By what standard? <laughs> How can you morally differentiate between a baby in the womb at six months and a baby born prematurely? at six months i personally don't except insofar as we take into account whether a person should have to use their body to keep another person alive what do you think about um the, the pro-choice because it seems like he's kind of following along the pro-choice argument where if like if the baby's in the woman woman's womb it's the woman's right to um terminate the pregnancy um so what do you guys think about like that argument for abortion um yeah, I mean, we may be going off off track a little bit on this one, but like, uh, I could say a lot about the bodily autonomy argument. Um, so <laughs> I think he admits that. I think in saying this, he admits that abortion is morally wrong, but it's legally okay um, because a woman should have the the legal right to bodily autonomy. Um, but I think that like that that fails that falls apart if we apply it to any other situation. Like, if I've donated an organ to someone, can I request it back? It doesn't make any sense. Um, so if I anyway. Continue. 33. Who was Jesus? If I asked you who was Achilles, you'd describe him as a literary character. If you accept me to be more of Jesus, you're approaching this conversation with far too great a sense of entitlement. Number 34. Yeah, I mean, if you want to just treat that Jesus just like Achilles. There's just so many issues we could talk about. But I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably know all those issues, both like how many New Testament manuscripts there are, like all the different sources, um, all the different independent sources. Like there's just so many issues with this kind of argument. Embarrassment in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's that's a huge one. The fact that like we started mm -hmm. a religion around the embarrassing act of someone getting crucified on a cross. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the reasons scholars think that Jesus existed and was crucified is because that's just incredibly embarrassing for you to start an entire religion around unless it's true. Randall Rouser came on um, a few months ago and debated Godless Engineer on the historicity of the resurrection on this channel. Great debate if you want to watch that. And Rand, usually like with resurrection arguments, you'll get like a minimal facts argument. Like you have these six facts or five facts or whatever. Um, but he brings an argument for the discontinuity of the resurrection. Like typically in history, it just kind of progresses. We can trace um, 
events in the present to events in the past. Um, what he argues is when you look at the resurrection, there's five major points of discontinuity. Um, I forget what those point, five points are, but it's a really new, it's a new argument for the resurrection that's really valuable um, with the kind of this question. Mm -hmm. Why did his disciples die saying that he rose from the dead? This is a malformed question. You should instead ask, <laughs> why does Christian literature say his disciples died saying he rose from the dead? I don't need to explain what a book says people did. I mean, why would the hobbits take the ring into Mordor if Sauron didn't exist? Am I right? Number 13. Well, I mean, if we're going to deal with martyrdoms like Peter or Paul or um, one of the Jameses, we're dealing with multiple different sources of this martyrdom. It's not just like traditions dating from like 300 years later with like a Bartholomew. Like there's very good evidence for some of the martyrdoms of the apostles. And the hobbits took the ring into Mordor to destroy it. Good stuff, girl. You're Thirty-five. Welcome. Why does the Bible keep lining up with archaeology? Oh, you mean how we have no sign of the millions of Israelites that the Bible has wandered the desert with Moses? No major ancient civilization as much as Noah's flood? Or how the Bible shows the first humans having knowledge of agriculture and animal domestication, even though we know these skills were developed over thousands of years? Those signs? Or were you just talking about the normal, fully expected indications that the Bible writers lived in the real world and made references to real places? Number 13. I mean, I mean yeah, Micah. I, I was just going to say, like, the very last thing he said is what you were asking, I think, right? Which is, mm -hmm. yes, that the Bible writers lived in the real world and made references to real places. So, mm -hmm. like, isn't that evidence that it's not just made up years after the fact? Mm -hmm. Um Carl's almost gone. And I mean, I think even if we take like a very skeptical um, interpretation of let's just say like when Genesis was written, like if you, even if you don't want to say Moses wrote the Pentateuch and Genesis was actually written during the exile in like the fourth or fifth or sixth century BC, take for example, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like there's actual, I've, if you just Google it, you'll be able to find it. But like there's actual archaeological evidence for something like Sodom and Gomorrah, which if you date um, the, the timeline of Genesis, that's something that's happening in like the 15th century BC. So this is like a, a thousand year gap if you take a very skeptical dating of Genesis. Um, so just yeah. by pointing out the things that there may be gaps in, it doesn't really answer the question because, you know, with any historical record, there's going to be gaps like even if we go back to like World War II, we're not going to find perfect alignment because it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that we haven't found it. Exactly. Yeah. The, there's, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could list off, like the evidence of chariots a kilometer out into the Red Sea, like with no evidence of boats anywhere near them. Um, the walls of Jericho falling outwards. Like there's things that we can point to that specifically line up with the Bible and that have very, have a very we have a very difficult time explaining naturalistically yeah mm -hmm. i think also one last point uh he mentioned the flood and how there's no evidence i, I think he mentioned there's no evidence for a worldwide flood and i would say i, I would agree that we would find that in the geological strata but you can read genesis in a way that it, it was just a flood in the near east that wiped out all the people because all the people were in the near east uh, mm -hmm. I think that's, you can read the bible faithfully that way so mm -hmm. 
Why did the three bloodiest regimes in history, Mao's China, Nazi Germany, and Stalin's Russia, come from atheistic ideas? <sighs> All right, this one. Fine. Okay, first, to whatever extent these were the bloodiest regimes, it's only because their populations, technology, and infrastructure gave them the ability to round up and kill more people than the religious regimes of the past. I mean, Joshua didn't slay fewer people because he was nicer. He stopped because he finished killing them all. You know, like God told him to. Second, if I told you that the Crusades or Inquisitions or witch trials came from Christian ideas, you'd trip over yourself explaining why the actors behind these events were operating on something other than Christian ideas. Demonstrating a remarkable understanding of the fact that, humans being humans, they act on their personal fear, greed, and desire for power in a way that can't be neatly ascribed to a single label they identify with. Yet somehow, the moment we start talking about any regime that was both murderous and irreligious, you suddenly become content to blurt out that they just did it because they're atheists. I mean, come on. You might as well just turn your hypocrisy into a flag and march around flying it wherever you go. And finally... The Nazis weren't atheists. Jimmy Christmas. All right. Somebody predicted in the chat. They said he'd better mm -hmm. not say that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I just did a bunch of research on the religious beliefs of Adolf Hitler and kind of like the Nazi party. And they were atheists or they were at least social Darwinists. It's kind of tricky because especially with like Hitler's speeches and I'll talk about it when I give like a sh brief presentation on it. You can see them on near Tuesday, but like the Nazis were not Christians. Like there, there's very little about that. Um, the Joshua thing, we've talked about this. Like we, I don't really know what interpretation of these events is true, but I mean, we have a morally perfect being. So I think he's just starting from the wrong place um, in terms of those events. And then was there anything else? Oh, the Salem witch trials are really interesting because I was learning about them and it doesn't really have to do with religion much. When you look at the history of them, it has to deal with a town spreading out and there's hysteria. And if you look at like the accused witches, they're all on, I believe it's the East side of town, which is like the older part of town. Um, if I get that right, there's, it's a, there's a lot of geography behind the Salem witch trials and a lot less religion than people think of. And um, not, not a, like not a lot of people comparatively died in the Salem witch trials, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I'm, 30 or 40 people passed away in the Salem yeah, witch trials. Like, not, like comparatively speaking, World War II, mm -hmm. Salem witch trials. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big difference. Something else, something else he said that just kind of irked me. It was like, why do we not attribute these things when people are hungry for power and evil and all these things? Why do we not attribute these to Christian to Christianity when it happens with Christians, but we do it to atheism when it happens with stuff like that? And the reason we don't do that is because Christianity itself specifically condemns the pursuit of power for personal gain. It specifically condemns a set number of things. So we cannot attribute these things to people that hold to these values mm -hmm. because they obviously don't hold to the values of the, of this because atheism doesn't specifically espouse a set number of beliefs in what it believes to be wrong. Rather, it's much more up to personal interpretation. So we can attribute these things to atheism because there is nothing to compare it against and say, thus atheism does not say, rather we can say, thus Christianity does not say. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Stalin tried to institute state atheism because that that was the only way he was yeah. gonna enact all of this. You know, so mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Great point, Carl. Um, well, I mean, there's 36 questions responded to. That was a lot of fun, I guess. Um, you guys have any kind of like closing thoughts and feel free to plug yourself for people listening who may be on like the podcast YouTube side of things, but not really into like the TikTok realm. Cause I got two TikTokers with me today. Um, I have a YouTube channel, the Pope himself. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be making content for it or if I'm just going to use it for live streaming for stuff. So, but yeah, um, I've got a, oh, I'm sorry. I've got I've got a YouTube channel too. It's just this isn't my fault. One straight word. Um, that's also my TikTok name. I suggest you follow me on TikTok because I don't post at all on YouTube. I'm like Mike. I'm not sure if I'll actually use it for actually posting things. I I hope to do that sometimes. I'm just not sure if I will ever get the discipline or inspiration to. Yeah. Well, this is good stuff, guys. Um, appreciate your time. I do want to say Prophet of Zod, if you listen to this, uh, thanks for tuning in and listening to our responses. Lots of interesting stuff to think on. Hopefully we brought clarity here to you from the Christian side of things. Um, for everyone tuning in, thanks for tuning in. Roxby, Supreme King, Ms. Titus, um, everyone else, thank you. Um, but that's it, everyone. Hope you have a good night. As always, you're brought to you by you with patreon.com.